body buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell, I've been stretching. Podcast four, mate, for the day. Let's see how we go. Scotty, you brought us in some treats, mate. What's going on? Yeah, so um, I know you've had a big day and it's been pretty warm up here today. So I've brought a couple of cold ones in. We've got uh, Jocko Willink's um, Go Cans. So I've, got, I've brought two flavours up for you. Jocko's personal favourite, the pomegranate white tea. And uh, Dakota Meyer, who's a sniper from uh, Canada. He got, yeah, so... Smash people's faces in with rocks. Old, was that him? Yeah. yeah. Old, old Cracker Duck. You can crack a duck there, so it's up to you guys. You can either have <laughs> his flavours, uh, black cherry and vanilla, or you've got the pomegranate. Say Cracker Duck. Cracker Duck, mate. Or Cracker Duck. Cracker Duck. Start your, start your afternoon off with Cracker Duck, or you got the... Oh, my God. You got the Jocko's one, have you? Yeah, or? Jocko. Oh, no, you've got the... Um, the cracker duck, mate, the in the camo colours. Here we go. That's good. They're, they're both good. Can I try that one too? Yeah, mate, go for it. Right. I brought them for you guys. So. so what is this stuff? Explain us what it is. Yeah, so it's a, um, it's not an energy drink. A lot of people, if they don't know about it, they look at it and they think it's like Red Bull. It's not. It's um, it's keto. It's sugar-free. Um, they use uh, monk fruit. Um, so. Yeah, so it's still I've pretty sweet. I've flavour before. Um, you probably have, but it's all like Dr Pepper. It's all it's all top range stuff. Um, no one Jocko, you know, he doesn't put his name to anything that's that's not natural as well. Um, so he first originally came out with a pill form, um, and then he went to cans. And uh, yeah, I'll, like I'm hooked on this stuff. It's it's all natural, and yeah, if you ever having a cloudy day or a cloudy moment, it's it's known as a Cognitive enhancer. Fuck yes. So, so it's like nootropic. Yeah, so it doesn't give you that big sugar rush or that big caffeine buzz that like Red Bull and shit yeah. gives you. So it just constantly it's got keeps you. It's in it too. Yeah, so That'll it keeps you on a good fat. good buzz. So I'm going to do the same. I'm going to, yeah, hook in. I'm going to so crack do you, it up. Um, do you distribute this stuff now? Uh, I don't. We've got one of our, um, uh, one of our supporters, uh, Ian from Get Some here. Um, in Brisbane, he he's been supplying the um, the veterans grappling program since day one. He's been helping us out with with supplements for a lot of the guys like um, and some cans. So that's thank you to Ian. Yeah, I've seen his um, socials pop up following with some of our staff and, and commenting on it. And I haven't reached out. I, haven't, I didn't know who he was yet. And obviously, yeah, it's a slow process. You get to to meet everyone eventually, but yeah, it sounds like he's doing some good stuff. Yeah, he's doing some really good stuff, and um, and. You know, he he doesn't ask for anything back, which is really good. He's he's supplied um, some of the guys. So we got a a, um, a ex uh, clearance diver who's uh, he's a bit older. He's forty, late forties. Um, he's just had a knee operation a couple of weeks ago, and he he um, as soon as he heard that, he dove into his pocket and chucked a thing of. Um, Krill oil and uh, okay. joint warfare stuff for his joints, so to help him recover a bit quicker, which was really nice of him. Um, and he's, he's actually put us on to um, onto Jocko's uh, Jocko Willink's major crew, and um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited to say today that they've um, had a two-hour phone call uh, with them a couple of nights ago, and and they're fully behind us. So um, 
Origin is is the company that's everything's made from the uh, the dirt to the shirt, as they call, and they do everything from boots, jeans, t-shirts, all the way through to uh, jujitsu geese, which um, they're going to be supplying to our our members and. Um, yeah, so they are going to give it to us for, for cost price, and then and then uh, the amount of money that we can on sell them for goes straight back into our foundation, which is a is a major get for us. And mm. um, they want to build up uh, strong links. So further on, um, when the borders reopen, we hopefully might be able to get their team out here and and do a few things for the veterans, which is really good. They're they're really supportive of the veterans. So yeah, that's been that's been a massive. Um, help for us in the last few days it's yeah it's been been good so good, way to, first, good we, way to finish a friday mate oh yeah. mate yeah it's um it's good we we put a little teaser out on social media this morning seeing if anyone can guess um but uh, i don't think anyone would have guessed that <laughs> i know i wouldn't have it come out of the blue really for us um so yeah we're we're, we're super excited high quality group um as as we said before jocko puts his um doesn't put his name on anything. He's, no, he's pretty full on. I don't know if you've ever met the guy, but he's he's pretty intense. Um, I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, so looking forward to getting over there and he, them coming here. Okay, yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah. So we met you while we were being yogis, yogis. We're learning to be yogis yeah. down in uh, Byron Bay, upsetting the apple cart. <laughs> bunch yeah, of we certainly did. <laughs> Bunch of gorillas walking around trying to learn yoga. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to let everyone know, so you're Scott's dear. Yep. What's your story, man? Why why, why we got you on, bro? Yeah. Uh, oh, start from the beginning. I was um, born in New Zealand, actually. Uh, mum's a Kiwi, dad's an Aussie. I didn't know that. We no, no there you go. Canada, mate. I keep that pretty quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moved over when I was really young. I was probably about three or four, I think, and then um, raised uh, down at Phillip Island in Victoria, uh, so on the surf coast. Um, during the 90s, obviously, Kurt Cobain and, and that was quite big, so I was out surfing most days, had the long blonde hair. Um, and, and still alive, Kurt Cobain? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was a bit of a shit of a kid, like most of us who joined the defence. Um, so mum and dad got me into uh, martial arts. I think Karate Kid just come out at that stage, um, about mid uh, mid eighties, and um, I was going around kicking the walls and sort of pushing my sister around. And uh, mum and dad said, "This isn't good. We'll we'll find you something." Um, luckily enough, at the end of our street, we had a, a, a judo club that was run by a Vietnam veteran, and um, so I went along there at ripe age of six, and. Um, I clicked with my coach straight away. Um, yeah, just uh, my dad didn't wasn't in the defence, but my my grandfather's on both sides, and a lot of my uncles were. Um, yeah, so I, I really clicked with my coach Mike, and um, he was ex two RER. Um, he, he did a, he did a fair bit of time in in um, in Vietnam and saw a fair bit of action, and um, he had that wicked sense of humour that we all tend to have and I, I, I was exposed to that from an early age luckily so uh, end up being a bit of a recruiting office for him in the end he, I think a lot of them that went through that program from country Victoria end up joining onto the, the, the big green machine um, yeah so I obviously tried a heap of different sports but um, 
judo was one I, I probably got the most best results for and I, I seem to take a liking more to individual sports than team sports because um, I took ownership of things quite literally and I used to get rather frustrated in team events where you know we might not get the, the final score at the end uh, and and I think I had done everything and I found that with with judo um, this is you versus your opponent and if things don't go your way well it's, it's your fault so um, there's no one else to blame um, I really like that and continued on and um, raced through the ranks and uh, made the Australian team uh, with a first time Australian champion at the age of 15 and um, yeah pushed through the Australian team traveled around a fair bit trying to get to the Olympic squad um, back then it was one person per division um, per country and uh, it, was, it was pretty competitive um, I spent a fair bit of time overseas uh, through Asia and, and the South Pacific trying to um, get exposure to you know the world elite so I spent a fair bit of time in Japan um, and I just missed out 2004 at the age of uh, 24 um, from there I kind of made an assessment one day after after a shit day at work um, it's obviously it was semi-professional back then you know if you uh, it's it's not real big following here in Australia but Europe and Asia it's a pro circuit um, so basically myself and a few other people in my era were um, working at home saving up as much money as they can still training as, as much as you can and then um, pretty much to save up to fund yourself to go spend time in Europe or Asia to um, to live and train and, and compete um, and then obviously if you get the results you get some money back in your pocket uh, so a lot of us were you know six 12 18 months would, would spend overseas and then come back and kind of restart again so we're doing a whole heap of different type jobs um, worked everything from um, uh, junior development officer for the YMCA all the way through to bouncing at the pubs most weekends get a bit of training at the same time type thing um, yeah and then uh, yeah because I because I missed out um, I, uh, I sat down one day and I was like oh I can't keep doing this if I do this for another four years and miss out again uh, by Beijing uh, 2008 I'll be 28 typically in the Australian team um, that's nearly too old for a judo player um, they not, normally tend to go for the younger age group they a bit of a selection um, so I was like do I really commit again for another four years or do I look for a, a different career and um, I my, my grandfather was a pilot in World War II and um, that was always my goal as a kid to be a pilot so I actually went down the recruiting office and uh, said I want to be a, a pilot did all the testing and then they're like oh um, we're looking at your school record and you uh, you did the wrong maths in year 12 so in Victoria you had three choices Make a list, um, go back home, and you know, we'll ring you in a couple. Um, I'd heard stories that once they say that, you know, they might not ever ring you. So I didn't really 
give too much of a notice. I stuck it on my desk when I got home and went back to work. And um, yeah, so I was doing pretty much at that stage. I was doing security full time, and um, my last gig, my last major gig before I got the phone call from them again was um, I was working at the Phillip Island Grand Prix uh, for the bike riders that were there, and I was looking after Valentino Rossi. Um, and uh, what were you doing? Trying to bounce all the women that were trying to get into his pretty trailer? Much, <laughs> pretty much, mate. He won the world title that that race as well, and he went straight down to Ligon Street and booked out a place there for for about three or four days, and had a massive bender after he won. Um, yeah, some pretty good stories, which I'll tell you another time. Uh, yeah, I got the call um, and said, "Oh, look, have you have you thought of anything else?" And I said, "Oh, look, give me." Give me half an hour. I'll look through the lease and see if there's anything else. And I come across um, direct entry for special forces. So um, it was always something that was interesting to me. It was um, obviously being a combat sport involved, and um, I was pretty fit at that stage, a lot lighter than what I am now. Uh, um, competition weight, I was about uh, under 73 kilos. So I was at, at six foot one. I was about two percent body fat. Um, pretty much train like gymnasts all the time so um i was a bit like a changi victim when i when i joined recruit training but um yeah so i, I said oh look this sounds interesting to me and um you know pretty much before i knew it i was on the bus and and heading in so straight into singo and um oh sorry kapuka and yeah it was it was it was a good group we had a real close group of guys and um Guys from all different backgrounds. We had doctors, pharmacists, um, pilots, guys that had their own successful companies. We had um, a US Ranger that had spent 15 years, um, come over as staff sergeant and was going back through Kapuka and Singo, which poor bastard. Um, Fuck that. There's no way you could, I could nah, do it. A couple of retreads. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a really good broad group. Um, we, got, we all got along really well. Obviously, 45 of you, I think, um, at Kapuka, we stuck together. And, um, yeah, I think in the end, probably about 20-odd got through to the unit. What, what year is this? Like what? Uh, so 2005. We started January 2005. Um, so SF DRS 5, I think we were, the fifth. Fourth, That's the what fifth I was going to say. So it was fairly early on. Like, was that yeah. So I think... Um, yeah, I think we're about the fourth or fifth group to come through. I can't remember which number it was. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, I can't say too many names because a few are still in, but some of the ones that are, are, are known now into the public, uh, Damien Tomlinson, um, yeah. who's lost both his legs, um, he's, he's a bit of an inspirational speaker and he's had a fair bit of coverage. So he's, he's been a real... Um, a real focal point for our group, I think. Um, seeing like what he's done, you mm. know, we talk about resilience and, and being at the absolute low. Um, he was one that, you know, that nothing will ever get that broke down. Like he, he always finds something else to do, and you know that's always been his goal. And um, bit of a character, always sort of getting himself into trouble when we're going through training. But um, he was locked inside the party as well. He's that, that digger that, you know, when there's a shit moment, 
and you're all cracking the shit. So you would crack a joke or do something silly or pull the guitar out or, you know, he was he was that guy that we had in our group. Uh, he's one, uh, Scotty Evernet. Um, Went through it. He was come through with us as well. Um, yeah, so we had a really good group. Them two have obviously um, pretty well known in the public space. Um, yeah, so... A busy, busy year. You're in, you're in an SF unit from 2005. Five, yeah. So um, January, we, we kicked it off by, I would say, probably July. We were at the unit, July, August. Might have been August, early August. Um, yeah, so they're basically Kapuka, Singo, and then we did a advanced infantry training course. Um, so we did, I don't know, two, two months or so, just pretty much doing SF training so we did a lot of nav uh, a lot of the weapon systems and urban operations that sort of stuff a bit of a taste tester for the rio cycle um and then that end of that was the barrier test and then away you go down down to the unit and then um yeah got a couple of courses in and then uh buggered my hip <laughs> um so that was yeah that was a bit disappointing for myself but um at that stage too, the, the the base was going through a revamp. They were kicking out three RER, sending them up yeah, to Townsville, yeah. um, trying to redevelop the base, build the um, build up the village that they had out the back. Then we had a kill house, or a couple of kill houses out there when I was there. Um, yeah, and then uh, so yeah, buggered my hip, and then they pulled us into. Uh, the office one day, there's, there's a group of us, probably about 15 or 20, and just sort of said, look, you broken guys, you can't stay here. Um, we gotta, we're revamping the base. We've got nowhere for you to sleep. We were actually sleeping in the gym at that stage, 10 of us in the storage room. Um, yeah, so all the glamours of SF is, is <laughs> yeah, a bit of a facade in some parts. But, um, yeah, it was good. You know, Army, it's no different, really, to being outfield. At least you've got a roof over your head. Um, so yeah, we most of us were really disappointed. Um, they wanted to send us to three, and then we were on parade one day, and I think um, that's where they said, "Come in the office today. We sign your paperwork to send you to three. And I stuck my hand up actually, and and they're like, "What the f- no? What the fuck do you want?" And I'm like, "Do we have to go to three? That was June around when the uh, the Cronulla riots were going on as well, and yeah. a lot of us were punching on with the guys from three. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the last place I really wanted to be. And they're like, "Oh, where else do you want to go?" And I said, "I wouldn't mind going to six. Like, yeah. um, they got some good capabilities and that coming through." And, um, and then when I said that, there's about another dozen blokes that stuck their hand up and said the same thing. So they're like, "Oh, look, we'll put you down for it, and we'll see." But we don't like your chances. It's a bit of a retirement village at six area. Everyone wants to go there at the mm. end of their career. So. You know, um, anyway, I think it was about six weeks later the, the posting come through and, and, and we got where we wanted to go, which was good because they always said to us throughout the program that um, basically if you want to leave at any stage uh, and you can go pretty much anywhere you want um, because we spent all this time and money behind you. Um, the idea was to be there for six months, uh, do your rehab and then head back. Um, and then... As time's gone on, I've found out that that was just a bit of a way. Or... No, they, they actually, like, it was part of a mental test to see whether you actually did want to hang around or not, of actually telling us that we had to go. Um, it was just another mental test. 
Um, so there was no intention for you to get no close at all. So a few guys found out later that um, once they ran Schema and said, how long the fuck have we got to stay here? They're like, oh, hang on, we got you down, but you're still yeah, right. Two commandos. So, oh well, young, young and stupid, I suppose. We we didn't really know, but um, like for us, that went to six star It was really good. Like we got there, and within within two months, we were picked to go on deployment. So we went straight on on ITF one, which is um, yeah, straight to Afghanistan. So while we're in Afghanistan, the boys are still doing training. All the guys that we come through with, they were they were dirty yeah. um we were straight over there and I'll, we we went and did pre-deployment in darwin um again we we were meant to be there for three months or so uh we ended up being there for six months because the base wasn't ready for us and um, when we got into tk we just had the old b hut still um the felt lagers and that hadn't been done so again 10 of us in in a Little bee hut. Because um, what do you call it? So we had the bee hut, the bee huts when we were there, and then the big armored. We, we, we called it, well, so one RS, it's crazy that the jar, we called them the chalets, the big armored. Chalet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you call them the felt, felt lager. That's yeah. what, that was the Dutch terminology. Yeah, right. Because that's yeah. the, the, I think, the brand name of the, the, the Connex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. up Connexes. Yeah, they call them the felt lagers. So crazy Dutch. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we, we got there, and there was. A platoon of us, um, which was Delta Company Six Area, obviously um, selected from the the history that they have. Uh, so we got sent over there um, to patrol platoons and um, and uh, another mobile section that were, were there, and um, that was it to supply uh, defence for the whole Australian contingent that was there. Uh, they quickly realised after a couple of months that this was not sufficient, so they actually called in, uh, I think, 5-7. That was still 5-7 at that stage. Uh, they brought a company across, and then uh, I think during the period that they were there, they split, and I can't remember which one stayed, whether it was 7 or 5, whichever one. Um, it's that long ago now, mm. 2006. Because what um, RTF-1, that would have been proper... Because what did, what did one I do? RDF 4? I'm making shit up. I can't remember any of the names of the troops. They're all the same, aren't they? Yeah, they're all the same. Pretty, active? We, active. Uh, first patrol went out. We, we got a couple of contacts and then pretty much died down a lot after that. Um, we got nicknamed the Potato Men because of all the shit buddy, um, body armour and crap we had to wear. It was the Land 125, I think, the old oh, cool. the horrendous that, stuff. Yeah. Um, the first couple of patrols, I tried to get us to fully fully bomb up with, you know, the neck thing and the shoulders and all that crap, and we quickly cut that away. Um, most of us in our section, I, I was an assault gunner, um, so carrying around the Mag 58 and all that with all that crap on. Well, you were just a sitting duck. So we quickly pissed that off, and a lot of us bought eagle vests ourselves mm. and then just put our plates in that. Had the had the plate yeah. carrier underneath. Um, it was a bit of extra padding, really. Uh, but yeah, then then whack them on, and, and they they were good to go. So um, yeah, that was a fantastic purchase by Defence. The and then McBass or whatever it was, uh, we couldn't yeah. get you. Little no, guys from remember, side pictures. I remember uh, like going to Afghan thinking like getting fully kitted up, going, "I'm the maddest motherfucker in the world." I look back at photos now yeah, compared like, to what, what people are like. <laughs> I look like the Michelin man. Yeah. It was so big. Well, we, we literally got the nickname Potato Man because we yeah. looked like a big potato. Um, I was on the front gun too because we didn't have the robotic arm at that stage. So 
that was um, interesting. At one stage, we're up a, up in the mountains, and um, during winter, fuck, I think um, I had like three sets of gloves on, had a couple of balaclavas and beanies, and the whole lot just trying to keep warm. And we're the lead vehicle, and I, I had to call to the the boss at one stage and say, man, I'm gonna have to come down because I can actually feel my eyes starting to freeze. <laughs> and then we come down, and the the ink crew stuck their buddy you know, their thermometer up and the wind chill was minus 60. And I was like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't stay out for that. Um, yeah, it was extreme weathers, but like picturesque as well. I mean, mm. like the, the mountains and that. And, and um, it really, we we were there from the very start. So it was really good to see the, the transition of the period. So as I said, we're in the bee huts, but so the actual Dutch base was getting built. We didn't have a mess or anything at that stage. It was just a tent with um, some Dutch hot dinners, like TV dinners, and made horse meat and all this other crap. It was horrendous. Most of the guys just lift off um, rat packs. So a couple of guys lost a heap of weight. Um, in town, there was there was no power. There was no mobile phones or, or anything like that. Towards the end of the, our trip, we, so we were there for about eight months. Um, you see mobile towers starting to go up and before that anyone who had a phone was just bomb you know they were ready, ready to yeah, the bomb yeah. off so we kind of had um our allies were pretty much we could we could attack but um as time went on things changed and the dutch didn't have bushies at that much, at that time and then towards the end of their trip they did so the locals obviously we had a, a distinct um vehicle so everyone kind of knew us locally which in my mind, it was really good because the locals really liked us, the kids mm. especially. But the uh, once the Dutch got them, they just friggin' did their own little Dutch thing. Like towards the end, where kids were throwing rocks at us and hating us. <laughs> just we were all just under the same umbrella at that stage. Yeah. Um, yeah so the action stuff, oh, look, it was kind of what I expected. Probably, um, probably expect a little bit more to be honest. Uh, I think the thing that really affected me at that stage, now that I look back and reflect, was um, Old Man Love Thursday, to be honest. Like, you hear it in the briefings before you go, and because we were the first group, we just thought it was scare tactics. Um, but then actually physically seeing it and um, hearing it and seeing it, you know, I remember the guys one day, I was we're in the governor's compound at TK and, and I was up on the, on the gun to supply and... Um, overall support with the guys were out patrolling and they were they were doing a bit of a recruit drive for the for the locals there, for the police and the and the army and some young kid come up. You know, he looked like he was about fifteen or sixteen, but he was probably twenty five, yeah, how nutrition they are there. Um, asked about the flyer, like, you know, what's the go? And they pretty much I just watched him, he just got dragged, he was digging his heels in, didn't want to go. They dragged him all the way to the back back of the um, back of the compound into a little hut and then you see each one of them take a turn through him and then uh, there you go mate there's there's a uniform you know one of us um that was like you know within the first month of me being there and culture shock absolutely yeah that was shock, that was a culture shock there, there was more things as time went on but i think that was a thing to me that was like especially coming from a background where i did a lot with kids prior to join the army and um do i used to do a lot with the ymca uh, running school camps and stuff um, during summer school camps, uh, a lot with kids that have come from broken homes and, and um, domestic violence sort of scenarios. And then 
seeing that and not being able to actually intervene and, and do anything because of the culture. Um, well, that was testing, I must say. Mm. Uh, and then coming back and then, you know, you go into the shops and most people don't realise how, how worked up you can get when you get back. And a lot of people think it's just the, you know, the physical action stuff, but I think... Moral injury stuff is what Moral injury, yeah, exactly. And, and going to the shops and then seeing kids, like, complaining they don't get a chocolate or a fucking toy yeah. or something. And I'd just be sitting there going, you don't know how good you've got it. You know? <laughs> um, so that was probably the part that, that affected me the most. Um, yeah, so from there I went to Iraq, uh, OBG4. Um, so we're down at um, at the air, the old airport that they took over down the down the base down the bottom of, of southern Iraq, and that was um, that was complete opposite. So um, the trip to Afghanistan, we had a really good boss. He um, he was really diligent with the way he he designed his missions. We always went down a different road. Um, different tactics and stuff, keeping the enemy guessing. Um, we'd always do a, a really big debrief, well intrigued. Uh, SF boys would always be there and, and putting in their bits and pieces. Um, then I was with Alpha Company 6RER, um, yeah, OBG West, uh, OBG 4 West, um, massive base. So it's pretty much the Yanks are taken over an airport. We had to catch a bus to get to the vehicles from air accommodation. Um, huge American mess halls, you know, basket and robins ice cream and, and all this stuff compared to the old horse meat that we got from the Dutch. Um, and, uh, you know, movie theatres and restaurants and all that sort of stuff. And um, the patrol tempo was pretty good, though. The, the time went really quick. We were day on, day on, night on, night off. And we're basically out on patrol looking for uh, bomb makers and, um, and you know, people lying out IEDs and shooting mortars at the base and all that sort of stuff. So we would just switch with another platoon. We would go out one night, come back, sleep. They would go out the next night. Um, so the time went really fast and kind of like... I was not even 12 months after coming back from Afghan, so you you back over again. Felt like Groundhog yeah, Day in a way. Six hour out, mate. Yeah, because they, they were the only ones that were motorised, really, and they thought that they were exactly. the only ones that knew how to drive bushmasters. Yeah, they sent them everywhere. Drive, so, drive, drive a lucky. Christmas tree, fucking automatic, mate. Yeah, <laughs> mate, easy thing to drive. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was lucky to get on a bushy driver's course when I got back, so um, I went over on that trip as a driver, and um, yeah, it was. We'd just drop the guys off to do a patrol for the night and come back and just harbour up and wait. Oh. But um, that was really repetitive. We were going down the same roads every night. Um, I, I come in uh, about two months into the trip because I, I had ankle surgery. Um, uh, hurt my ankle uh, loading up for a recon course when I got back. And um, of course, during that period when I uh, my sergeant is definitely old school. My, my chit said I couldn't run, but he said, doesn't say you can't fucking walk, so you've got to push this trailer up the hill here. And I did that for about two months. And my, ankle, army, my ankle got, I kept on saying my ankle stuffed, and he's like, nah. So in the end of that, I was booked in for my first surgery a couple of months later. And um, yeah, so I went in in October, and I think by December, January, I was over in Iraq, caught up with the rest of the boys. and. Um, 
Yeah, when I got there, um, I was still pretty much on in uh, operational mode from Afghan. And the way that we were really thorough with everything there, I, I kind of brought that same mentality to to the trip there. And I kept on getting told I'm, um, oh, I'm just a new guy. I'm, I'm seeing things that aren't really there. And, you know, they've been here for this long and, you know, they wouldn't target us. They target the Yanks and all this sort of stuff. And I've seen all these signs. And um, for, uh, for ID been laid in this area is to me like when you look back at it and probably telling you guys it'd be blatantly obvious um the bedouins that are like the gypsies there mm. they were on this s bend um road that would constantly go down they just disappeared just like that overnight one night um the ceo told me it was just that time of year that they pick up and move i was like they didn't it didn't look like they were progressively moving it looked like it was uh, a big pile of dirt ended up on that corner like the next night. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I saw them doing it and I told the um, the boss to, you know, send someone out. So they sent a little patrol out and they said, oh, they're doing road works on this road. And, but, you know, they're laying dirt down at fucking two o'clock in the morning. Night works. Night works, yeah. Just in the traffic, you know. Then the then the, the next patrol after that there was a, there was clearly a spotter there um, and I and I said to my boss you know he's a spotter let's go over and talk to him no 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 you just so I remember going through this this choke point I'm just squeezing my eyes going I'm waiting for this thing to fucking just go bang um, it didn't so when we got back to base I just I kind of unleashed on on the rank above me um, I was only a digger unfortunately. Um, and I pretty much said, I'm not going down that fucking road again because something's going to happen. So they just thought I was a bit concerned. Funny enough, our, our routine changed the next night. We got sent on another mission down on to, following the highway. And sure enough, that morning we get a call saying that an ID went off down that road that night and one of our boys got seriously injured. And young Liam Haven, who's, who now lives in WA, he... Um, he lost both sight and both eyes. A bit. He was on the rear gun, shrapnel come up underneath, spawned his jaw and turned this eye into mush and cut all the, the cords behind his other eye, the poor bastard. So he's now got 2% vision in one eye. I think if he can hold a hand up to his face, he he sees a shadow pretty much. That was it. Um, when the news comes through, I yeah, that was my <laughs> my cracking moment. I, I end up uh, getting a bit physical with some of the ranks. So. <laughs> yeah, look back but at it now. This is yeah. the thing, man, isn't it? It's uh, I think the army they've 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 crossed the roads between being subservient in a rank structure, saying like, okay, I'm a platoon commander. Um, yeah, I'll give you orders, um, but you're still a fucking human being. If there's a pile of fucking dirt on a road and someone's like, I, I can I can have a dis we can have a different opinion about something or I can give you some advice. It's not be, me being mm. insubordinate. Yep. But we've grown into an army where it doesn't matter what rank you are. There's one above you. You're now a sycophant. You're like, no, boss. Yeah. Like, whatever they say goes because they write your PAR. Yeah. And if you want to run your mouth, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. And then someone gets injured yeah. and you're like. I had to see the sykes and all that sort of stuff because I had a bit of a problem with authority.
Yeah, and I think just with the continue up tempo with six RER had, um, we, had uh, we went from Commonwealth Games to, to Afghan to Iraq and then we got back from that and we we're pretty much doing um, specialty courses again and then, and then revamping for um, Afghanistan again. So it was pretty much go, go, go. Uh, I'll come back. I was on crazy edge there for a while. Um, ridden motorbikes all my life, road and dirt, and um, I was just doing ridiculous speeds on the road. I was being silly. Um, when I look back at it now, um, it was just I didn't know how to, to to deal with the shit that was going through my head, I suppose. Um, and there was I had a uh, my old man was a panel beater growing up too. So as a kid, we used to do up old cars and sell them. And um, had old HZ one ton Ute that I um, spent a fair bit of money on, and uh, it was a bit of a head turner. And um, seeing the psych at base, um, I said to her one day, "Oh, I feel like someone's watching me. You know, I just feel like something's going to happen." And again, that same sort of thing of what happened in Iraq. And she was trying to say to me, you know, maybe it's just, you know, these issues that um, that obviously have transcended from that and um, kind of paid it off a little bit and said, or oh, maybe to try and break out that mould, I want you to drive home the same way every day for a week to try and break out. Or I was going through a different fucking route because I was thinking yeah, someone's yeah, yeah, following yeah. me type thing. So, all right, I'll, I'll commit to it. You know, I've got to get out of this. I'll understand. I'll do it. Um, so I did it for a week. And then uh, I was starting to feel good about it. And um, one of the boys who was on both my trips, he, uh, he, it was his birthday coming up. It was a Tuesday night. And um, his missus at the time, which he's not with anymore, thank God, um, was, uh, was very... He's mine, he's mine. She, she didn't understand the concept of, you know, what it's like. It's, it's your brother and when it's your birthday, he, she's like, you spend all day with him at work. You know, why do you want to hang out with all the boys when you're back? I know, I know the uh, type of female well. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there's lots down that line. So uh, we're all on standby at my house having a few drinks just waiting for the call to say, yep, we, we made the agreement. Okay, you go out, have dinner with, with her and then... After dinner's finished, mate, game on, we're, we're going out. Um, it was about 10 o'clock and we get a text message saying, oh, no, boys, you know, not happening tonight. So, yeah, you know, kind of expected it to happen, but so we all thought, ah, oh, fuck this, we go to bed. And, um, so I was living in an AJ house um, in Brisbane and um, two-storey place, there was four of us there. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, I just had this feeling, I woke up and next minute I hear the ute start. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I look out the window and there's a guy jumping in my ute, hot wiring it. So I just ran down in, in just like jocks, run down. And by the time I got out to him, he'd reversed back onto the road. And I, I tried to get around, open the front door. And uh, I was, wasn't quick enough. He floored it. And I went over the bonnet and under the back wheel and ended up about 50 metres down the road in the gutter. Um, yeah, and just... Boys come running out because I was yelling out to them as I'm running down the stairs, and it's a bit like a uh, bit like a scene from 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 uh, overseas. I had blood and shit going everywhere. Toes were all pointing in different directions, and uh, pretty much skimmed my foot down to the bone on my left foot. Um, he 
he'd pretty much gone over the bonnet and un, as I got under the back wheel, he floored it. So pretty much done a burnout on my back foot, pushed it into the gravel. Um, so next to me, boys just went into combat mode. I had one guy just being a medic on me and patching me up and chucking me in the car and taking me to the hospital. Uh, two of the other boys jumped on their bikes and chased after the ute to try and see if they could get him. Um, they get him? No, they didn't, which is a shame in one way, but then... As my mum said to me, yeah, yeah. probably would have got us like after doing interrogation courses and all that sort of shit. We, I mean, fuck, I don't know what would happen to that poor fella. Um, so yeah, that put me back a fair bit actually. I was, I think it was about six months um, going into base um, just with songs on every day. So um, do you when you when you said you were thought you were getting followed, you reckon it was someone waiting to it was a guy your watching. Car? Yeah, it was a guy watching. Ah, yeah. right. So then when I thought back at it, I actually remembered, you know, those times where I went to the shops around the corner where this I caught a guy like looking through the window and he was talking about oh, you know, I really like nice cars and then there's another time there's a guy around on a push bike just riding up and down past our place. Mm. I was obviously casing it out. Um the prick took it for a joyride, went over the other side of Brizzy, fueled up at a station, uh, did a did a runner, didn't pay for it, did a runner, and then um, we found it um, two days later in the in the scrub near where we lived, um, torched. He pretty much mm. set fire to it. So the sad thing was, I was actually um, organised at the end of that week. I was going to drive it down to Melbourne and and give it to my parents to put in a show because we were getting ready to go to Afghanistan again. Um, so yeah, six months where the boys are doing their pre-deployment for MTF1. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was in rehab trying to get skin to grow back and luckily I didn't have to do any skin grafts or anything, but, um, silver nitrate, I don't know if you know what that is, but I got accustomed to that. It's, um, it pretty much, it's, it's a, it's, it's a liquid that, um, you know when you get warts and stuff, mm. off you? it's similar to that. But so I, on my heel, my the flesh was growing quicker than the skin. So the flesh would protrude. So for mm. the skin to actually cover it, they would have to burn it off twice a week. So I'd have to get my f- flesh burnt <laughs> twice a week. I remember the first time I went into the the wrap uh, the hospital at, at Anogger, and uh, the guys like, oh, the doctors thought we have to put silver nitrate on and I'd done advanced first aid course and stuff in the army I'm like that sounds familiar I'm thinking hang on a second and then I remember the nurse going wouldn't that hurt and the doctor's like oh no 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 I'll just pay it off and I'm like hang on by the time I'd actually clicked on what it was he'd already put it on my foot and I fucking kicked him fair square right <laughs> the head with my other leg <laughs> nearly knocked the gun out and I he like gets down. I'm like, oh, sorry. Like a sister react. I didn't mean it. Like I understand what he has to do. And I, so after that, every time I had to come in, I had to report in twice a week to get that done. So I had to have two or three nurses hold my leg down. Um, so that went on for about six months. Um, finally, the skin healed. It was a bit like tissue paper for a while. Um, then they tried all different boots and stuff um, to try and get that going. Um, basically. During that time, I got moved to the RP cell at 6RER and um, the CO was really good. Um, uh, Colonel Blaine, who's now Brigadier, I think he is, he's the head of 7 Brigade now. Um, 
he sort of said, with my background, uh, we'll get you there and we want you to train the boys up in hand-to-hand -hand combat for, for MTF1. Um, and I was going to be his driver for that, for that trip. And obviously, um, for the people who don't know much about that trip, it ended up being a pretty full-on trip and I knew they weren't going to be driving for much. It was mainly going to be chopping in and out to the, to the FOBs. Um, but basically, in the end, my foot, I just, I just didn't trust it because I knew at some stage I'd probably be called out on patrol and, and I didn't think, I didn't want to be a liability for the boys. So I got out of my own accord and um, pulled the pin January 2010. So I did five years, pretty much nearly to the day. Um, yeah, and got to move down to Goldie. Um, met my now wife during that year, uh, transitioned well. Uh, she was a nurse, luckily enough, which with all my injuries <laughs> would probably help. Um, yeah, and then uh, worked at a shooting range for a while, actually, as a safety suit. And we, we did everything from 22 pistols and rifles up to 50 caliber pistols, which was, which was a um, pretty eye-opener. Mm. Obviously, um, yeah, really diverse indoor shooting range, clay target shooting, the whole lot. So it was, it was pretty good seeing guys come in thinking they know everything and, um, or getting kids because I think they could kids from the age of 14, I think, could shoot there without a licence. So um, kids who play all the video games come in thinking they know what it is. They know everything about the gun except for how loud it actually is. Uh, so that was, that was a bit of good fun. That was just a good way to get a gun fix and a bit of a transition. And, um, yeah, then the mines for a little bit over west. And then when I come back, I, I worked um, with Gold Coast Arms. I was there for about three or four years. And... Start off as a trainer and then end up being the head trainer and and uh, tackling specialist coach, um, working within close sort of football, how to move the body around and, and helping guys out in, in key position areas. Um, yeah, which was, I mean, I grew up with footy and a lot of my cousins and my, my dad and my, my uncles played at the elite level, um, but I was fully concentrated on judo, so I never really got that far. I didn't really start playing until I was 19, I suppose, which was too late for the elite level. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. That was really good times. Um, got to, had, had to be with the team at all all their games, interstate, and we even had a game in China, which was which was good before, obviously, all this shit was happening. Um, yeah, so did all that, and then... During that period, actually, um, is, is when I come up with the concept of what I'm running now is um, the Suns were getting flogged every week um, and I was working one-on-one -on -one with a couple of players uh, doing some stuff there, not only dealing with getting to improve their tackling but trying to improve their controlled aggression and, and um, a bit with the mindset and the meditation. And obviously, with my background... Um, teach them about breathing and a lot of stuff that we went through funny enough with, with Tristan and, and the mm. boys down at, at Byron last year um, and a bit like a bit like Coves where I was doing that stuff but not actually realising it was a form of yoga so to speak um, I had always used to have my own routine as a competitor of, of calming myself down and, and you know being aware of those nerves but not actually uh, just knowing that's a step of what the whole process is. Um, I mean, 
I think being exposed to a combat sport from an early age, I think by the time I joined, I'd had over 500 fights um, on the mats. Um, so people used to say to me, you, you never get nervous. Say, well, I do, but I'm more nervous if I don't get nervous, mm. you know, because it breaks up that routine. So, yeah, so I started helping the guys with that and, um, and then I started doing a bit of research so that I could actually present it to um, the medical team and, and uh, the head coaches at that stage to say, this is why I'm going down this path and this is the sort of reasonings why I'm doing it, um, to give them a bit of a background and an explanation. And I actually come across an article of some veterans in the US who are, who are doing jiu-jitsu um, to help with their, their rehabilitation, not only physically but mentally. Um, and I come across it, one or two articles, three or four, and I just just got sidetracked. I started looking right into it. And um, uh, through working with um, Elite Sport, I, I knew a couple of the guys on the coast. One was working with the Gold Coast as a physio, and the other one was a, used to be a pro fighter um, for Mutai, uh, who'd been doing work with, with veterans as well. And um, he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. As, as well as a Muay Thai fighter. So we um, we just got together pretty much midway through that footy season. We had caught up for lunch one day and I sort of said, look, I come across these articles. These are like really interesting and it'd be, it'd be awesome if someone here in Australia would actually do it because I can, I can see the benefits not only for myself, but other guys that were, I've been doing a lot of one-on-one sessions with. And um, I always remembered back to my coach my Vietnam veteran coach, when, when I was at my elite level at sort of 19, 19 20, uh, when I was trained with him three times a day, he'd actually gone through his worst period for his rehab at that stage. He, um, you know, he marriage had broken up. He, he, he was a closet alcoholic. Um, he'd been in repat for a bit of time and was going through all his... Um, testing medications and stuff and and seeing him hit absolute rock bottom, the best thing for him was actually getting on the mats and, and, and doing that combat sport. Um, and that always was in the back of my mind throughout my whole career. Whenever I had a bad time, I'd make sure I'd make time to go to training, even though during our career, the... Um, combat sports outside of the defence was sort of frowned upon. It wasn't really, if you come to work on Monday with a black eye or an injury from training, a lot of times you could get charged. So a lot of time we're doing it on the fly and on the sneaky. Um, now, um, now that I'm, I'm, even though I've been out for 10 years, been involved with the, with the Army Combative Program that's been implemented by Paul Cale here, um, the massive turnaround is, is amazing. Like, like they're, they're fully encouraging people to do that because they realise it's not only a, an essential part of your job, but the the, um, the other benefits off the mat as well and, and out, of, out of work. Um, so, yeah, talking to the boys, um, Luke and Dan, and, and sort of over a couple of weeks, it gained a bit of traction. And, and I said, look, at the end of the season... I don't think I'll continue doing the job here. Um, I want to concentrate more on this. Um, I think we can really implement something that's unique um, 
looking at what the guys in the US and there's another group in the UK, uh, Reorg and We Defy. Um, they're two foundations similar to us where they just specifically do jiu-jitsu for veterans that are um, so did you transitioning. Go from judo to jiu-jitsu or is it the same? Yeah, so I, I grew up with judo and traditional jiu-jitsu, which um, is the old Japanese version, which is a lot of knife and sword sort of disarming. Um, yeah, and then Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, it was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu when I first started. That was back in uh, early mid-90s. Um, I used to train in, in Melbourne with, with the guy there. And then um, it didn't really evolve here in Australia until probably the time when we were in the army. Um, so when we were on deployment, I would train with the Yanks that were there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I never, I was always doing training but I was never around enough to do a grading because of postings and deployments and everything. So it wasn't until when I got out that I actually fully got back right into it and, and concentrated on um, going through the, the, the systems. Um, judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are from the same place. Um, so they're very, very similar, just different terminologies with a lot of things and a little bit different uh, rule set. So from a competition perspective, I try and explain it to people like it's like rugby league and rugby union. You know, it's potentially the same game, but just came from the same origins. Came from, from the, the same, same origins, area. just different scoring systems mm. and slight different rules. Um, so judo is predominantly, they concentrate more standing up and Brazilian jiu-jitsu is predominantly more on the ground. But to be good at both, you need to have both. So yeah. So oh, so both of them to completely round out your ground game. Yeah, all the international big name players are, are usually got a strong background in both. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot of judo players are probably judo is an Olympic sport. BJJ isn't, but a lot of judo guys are going over to BJJ because of the, there was another, a rule change after the 2008 eight Olympics where uh, I think if you percent, uh, essentially the rugby tackle, like anything touching the legs is, is now a penalty. And you never, um, because when the Russians come in, they did a lot of sambo type wrestling moves and Japanese uh, weren't the number one team anymore. And they were getting oh, so a bit- they changed the rules. Changed the rules. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So they, they run the show. So they changed the rules and pretty much cut that out. So a lot of guys who grew up, especially from my era, were really big on the, the leg sort of movements and um, for your grading for your black belt, there's you know pretty much half of the stuff you have to do is associated with the legs and yeah, so there's a bit of bit of controversy. So um, yeah, so a lot of guys are going down the BJJ side because all those rules are still relevant, they're still eligible. So yeah, so anyway, we from there we launched veteran grappling and. Um, uh, officially our own venue in August, start of August uh, 2019. And um, from there, we've just, even with COVID, we've, we've been going great guns and uh, we've got really strong links, as I said, with um, We Defy in the, in the US and Reorg um, in the UK. And we, they're both from SF backgrounds as well, the two main guys from there. And they were due to come out here in November last year and we were gonna do a bit of a tour um, which I think I talked to you about earlier last year, we could probably potentially 
um, get on the back of your walk that you're going to do and yeah. help spread the word. Um, so they want him to come back out again, obviously, when borders reopen and help spread the word and, and, and get that out. So that'd be really good. Um, we're hoping to have camps and stuff where we can bring veterans together and um, have not only um, different professions, but, um, you know, different levels as well, guys. Um, who have absolutely no skills at all to, to guys that are at that top level. Um, so you've got a pretty good stable of, of people that come to your gym? and Yeah, so we run out of – we've got our headquarters on the Gold Coast and we run one session a week out of um, Brisbane at the Lang Park PCYC there. Um, so I'm, I'm still uh, a subject matter expert for – the current serving guys. So I come up to Inogra at the combat centre there and run PT for them every Tuesday morning. And I concentrate on their sort of takedowns, throws type stuff. Um, and then after I finish that, I, I swing by Lang Park and run a session there for veterans and first responders. So I was initially reached out to a police officer there who was going through similar stuff to what a lot of veterans are. And um, he said, oh, look, I think you can help out a lot of police officers here as well. So um, that pretty much initiated our focal point from veterans, uh, advanced veterans, to first responders as well. So we've got a lot of fireys, um, ambos, uh, cops. We've got a couple of feds as well that all come in. Um, funny enough, the majority of them are ex-defence who switched over. Um, yeah, so so our program, once we got together and we started really talking about how we're going to structure it, there's, there's a lot of clubs um, around the world and, and, and around Australia that offer free training for veterans. But, uh, and we didn't want to do that, so to speak. We wanted to actually run a proper program. So we devised... Um, uh, a biopsychosocial program uh, model where we're concentrating not only on the physical aspect and the and the emotional aspect, but the the, the psychological aspect as well. So the, the social aspect of of getting veterans who specifically don't want to get out and get involved. And there's a lot of guys that don't want to go to a gym, like. They want to be fit, but they don't want to go to the gym and, mm. and lift weights. Um, so, so we run the program where, when the guys come in, they um, our, our warm ups are run by our, our physio and our EP. Um, everyone fills out their medical record before they come along, uh, or they brief the guys if it's their first night to sort of see everyone's got some sort of restrictions. Um, most of us are in our thirties and forties now, um, so you know whether it's lower limb injuries or back or necks or everyone's got something that's a little bit tender. Um, so they devise the warm up as a bit of a. Um, it's not your usual warm up that you get from a BJJ gym where you get in there and you sort of do a light roll or you do some movements and then get into it. We kind of it's more of an activation type movement. So. Oh, Getting the body active, um, which again, like after me and you guys and Tristan last year was really, is everything clicked? Like it's that same thing. 
So we, we get the guys moving, um, get in their, their restrictions free <laughs> as much as we can. And then our program's designed around what we can teach these people who attend um, that they can do without without making them feel like, oh, fuck, I can't do that. You know, my, my arm doesn't bend that way or I can't bend over or, or my knee, I've just had my knees replaced. You know, I can't. So it's, it's really well devised. Between the three of us, we've all got a very strong background in, in the grappling art. So, um, yeah, we make sure that that's, that's in there. And then at the end, we finish off with, with uh, yin-style yoga where, um, you know, like, not like what we did probably 12 months ago where the old bendy stretchy stuff that looks good for Instagram. It's, it's more that oh, hold sure. that position for 3, 5, 10, 15 minutes, um, stretch out the, the joints, not so much the muscles, and, and really reset the mind. So we get them in, we move them around, we give them some techniques, then they do a bit of a controlled roll, so we call it chess. So like that, like the board game. Um, so we take turns. So especially for the new ones, the more advanced guys can go normal. But the if you say if it's your first or second go, or even your your first six months, um, we take it in turns. So you'll have first move. So you might just grab him around the neck, and then he'll grab your arm, and then you take turns. And then that way, if you get in position and you're not really sure what to do. You can actually have time to think about it or try and remember what you've gone through in class. Instead of just scrambling. And... Instead of just going hell for leather because before you know it, it's, too, it's way too late. Because um, a lot of veterans were contacting us and said, oh, look, I've been going to my local gym. I, I really liked what you guys were, were pumping out and I never really thought of doing that sort of thing. I love it, but I get there and I've got some young punk who's like 19, 20, who just sees a new white belt and goes, oh, Ripper, he's an easy kill type thing. Yep. And then the poor guys are like, I'm 35 or 40, I've got injuries, and then next bit I've got this young guy just trying to pop my head off. So yeah. <laughs> it kind of puts people off a little bit. Um, so our program, we slowly build that up. The good thing, as I said, like if you get stuck, you don't know what to do, you just yell out and one of the coaches will come along and say, we won't tell you what to do, but we'll get you. We'll try and prompt your thinking. It's a credit questioning, and yeah, credit question. Get them thinking to re, to resolve their own issues. Um, so the studies that we come across, and, and we're conducting ourselves and seeing the same results, are that like from a combat perspective, especially from combat veterans like ourselves, you know, you you get that initial adrenaline rush when you're in the contact. Then when you come back, it's really hard to find that same feeling in anything you do. So a lot of guys, you know, they try skydiving and they try this and that sort of burns out pretty quick. They, um, they're not really getting that same thrill. Um, or they get on a bike and do stupid speeds like I was doing. Um, where this way, it's in a controlled environment, you've got no chance really of getting injured, so to speak. Um, it's not like a striking art where you're constantly getting punched in the face. Um, you know, you... You're under control, but you're in a combat zone. And the really big aspect is the trust. The trust thing for veterans, I think, um, you're gaining that trust by you know that if you tap, your opponent stops straight away. Where the results we're getting from that is coming across ridiculous compared to... Um, 
as I said, from my own perspective, get, losing that trust for uh, rank pretty much when I come back from Iraq um, or when guys get out and they go to integrate with civilian population and they, and they, they find it really hard to trust people who aren't other veterans yep. or first responders who have lived a similar sort of experience. So that trust factor gets slowly built back up by just a simple tap mm. that they're getting exposed to every time and the steps they get from that. So we've had really good results with guys that have come in, they've been hard to get off the couch, they've come in, they've, they've done the program for six months and now they're integrated back into our open classes like with the civilian population and they're meeting new friends and they're and they're competing and they're doing gradings and so forth which is so you, you grade you can grade yeah yeah, yeah. we too. grade them we grade them in bjj judo and um we started doing kinetic fighting with paul cal and and the jitsu budo which is what they're doing with the army as well so we're trying to give them a broad range they can do all of them or they can do one whatever their their desire is mate i reckon this is spot i mean you're you're going to take this. I know exactly where you're going to take this. Where? Uh, with us, with the, the CTE, head injury, strike, and combat sports. Oh, that, that's part of it. I'll, I'll, I'll go down a different line. But, yeah, definitely. That's why, I've, I mean, I started, I, I keep telling, probably the last three months of the podcast, I've been like, yeah, I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it's because I go, like, once a week, and then I get distracted, and I'm, like, <laughs> yeah. going nowhere. I've got to go at least three times a week to get anywhere. Yeah. But that was what I loved about it was that I don't, I grew up getting knocked out playing rugby like every weekend yeah. and then join the army and get CTE from blowing up big things. And I, I got no interest in, like I need some form of contact sport. Yeah. I don't want to go back to rugby. Yeah. Definitely don't want to get into striking because nah. you're punching the head, mate. I'm not getting oh, any younger. I'm only exactly. going to get dumber. Um, and it works. Like you, you get walk away from a session like that and you're like, I've had a physical challenge with another dude yeah. where if it was real, like the conversation we had with Paul this morning, it's like you're never going to get to that point where you're fighting for your life, but it's as close as you can probably yeah. get. And you get the same satisfaction out of oh, it. Right? Yeah, it's exactly. Right. Yeah, and it's a real tactical game as well. Like the more, it's a bit like golf, the more you get into it, the more technical it actually is. Like, yeah. um, that's why a lot of nerds are, are, are really big on PJJ because they can pretty much control the big gym junkie and, and destroy them. Um, and and we're lucky with our physio. He's actually doing his PhD um, in head and spinal injuries. So he's a lot to do with concussion through combat sports. Um, he's a he's a he's a UFC physio as well. So he goes to all the big fights. And um, so having him on board, um, knowing that factor, um, throughout my research too, I found like having that. It's not just the physical um, exposure that you're getting. It's, it's that mental thing as well because you're having to think about your game plan, your next couple of steps. Um, and when you got someone ch- trying to pull your fucking head off, you're not worried about, oh, that time in Afghan. When yeah, I was, exactly. I'm just getting my fucking head yeah. pulled off. I need to get out of it, mate. So yeah. Damien Brown summed it up really well. Um, he said, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to be worrying about things when someone's trying to choke you. Pretty much, you, you're not worried about anything else that's going off the mat. Um, I think one thing for me too was getting back on and, and gaining that clarity of of actually getting the mind. It's something simple but hard as well. Um, 
I come across a study during that time as well about some Canadian soldiers who did a study on the um, the 84. So have you have you heard about them? So you know the the Carl Gustav 84. Um, the studies that they got from that from the concussion. They said it was actually worse. Oh yeah, because yeah. it actually rips through the whole head. Yeah, and um, I think the recommended thing was one shot per twenty-four hours. Mm. That you, whether you are the one firing or you're the one safety servant number yeah. two. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I remember in Afghan. I think we did our whole deployments worth in one day. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and like. Just keep cycling through, just, mate. Like, we had, we had boys' safety souping, yeah. and they were getting camo. He's a truck driver. Yeah. A uh, big interstate truck driver and a couple of boys. Tommy Trainer, he did a safety course with, uh, uh, did a EFSW course. And the boys come off the fucking hill, and we were just like, go, next yeah. dude, go. They fucking nosebleeds, mate. Yeah. And they were coming off. I got off concussion like, with one, I reckon. I, got, I couldn't see nothing because yeah. my number one was like five foot five, and my head was like right near the, the edge. But... Yeah, I think like there's there's all that other exposure that you know we we don't really know about, and shit will come out probably much later on in date when we're near death anyway. Mate, I went to well, I, I'm massive for this. This is why I'm not going to do contact sports. Like, like judo, jujitsu is going to be my thing. I went to this while I was still in the army. I said, look, I want to get my fucking head read, like for yep. for I want to get a brain scan. I want to know what's going on because I not just age decline and people throw it off as, you know, loss of neural pathways and, and, and you know, plasticity. Um, I'm like, no, I'm fucking forgetting words and getting dumb. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And so I went, went to this chick and she's a neuropsychologist, did all, this, all these tests for fucking two days, eight hours worth of tests. Like, this is a square, this is a circle, if this circle, you know what I mean? Yeah. A full cognitive suite. And she's like, why do you want to, why are you, did you specifically ask to do this? I'm like, we've been blowing shit up next to our head for fucking years, 18 years of it in the army. Mm. And all these boys are doing it. And the signs and symptoms of CTE, which is a lot of these studies coming out, yeah. especially from the Warrior Angel Foundation, yeah. they're massive with it. Yeah. CTE was presenting with the same signs and symptoms as PTSD. Yeah. And I'm exactly. like, fuck if this is a thing, I want to get it checked. Yeah. And she had no idea. She was like, nah, it probably wouldn't happen. And I had to bring up, I brought up a video of someone firing an 84 because I'm like, yeah. oh, we fire 84s. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, no, cool noise. Is it a rifle? I'm like, nah, nah it's an anti-tank recorder's rifle. <laughs> and I showed her and, you know, with the dust kicking up, yeah. like, and her fucking jaw dropped, mate. And yeah. she was like, fuck. And I was like, that's why I want, and because at the moment you need to get a base test first. Yeah. And then hopefully you're further off the decline than everybody else before yeah. they even recognise it. Yeah. The um, tank, ground, moment, tank rounds in World War One and World War Two weren't even that big. And now you're firing them from your shoulder. Yeah, you're firing from the shoulder. Exactly. Yeah, World War One tanks didn't have the calibre of yeah, you're yeah. firing off next to your head. Yeah. Yeah, um, like, I, that's why I reckon. I reckon the research that's going to come out from that, like we, we did a lot with the Suns on concussion because um, one of the players there, Cade Collajasny, who just retired um, through concussion, uh, he was having... like I Retired him, through concussion? He retired through concussion, yeah. Um, he he was real bad, man. Like I remember one day I was running a grappling session there and we're like, where's Cade? I don't know where he is. And he was sitting in his car 
Um, the doctor had told him to go home and he'd sit in his car for 10 minutes. He couldn't remember where he lived. Fuck. And that's at the age of 20, 24, I think he was or something. And like... Hey, I'm going to clip this because I get fucking lost in Townsville, maybe because I'm a retard, right? But Or in Darwin. And my or in Kosava. Or in Kosava. <laughs> we, we were driving. We were, we were driving through Kosava the other day and he's like, mate, I have driven this way six times in the last two years. I can't remember ever going through Coffs Harbour before. No. And that is like the one town that has not been bypassed. You have to go through Coffs Harbour yeah. and it's pretty unique because it's got a big fucking yeah. banana in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, mate, you might be in trouble. Yeah. Mate, I go through and I, I moved to Darwin and I had panic attacks because I'd go from the gym. It's like four turns to get to the gym and get home. And then it's Darwin's like Townsville. You cannot get fucking lost. Yeah. And it would it took me and it still does. And my missus is like... You fucking idiot. Yeah. You can't get lost. I'm like, I fucking don't know where I'm going, mate. <laughs> and who are you? <laughs> yeah, and who the fuck are you? So maybe that's just an excuse for me having zero navigational ability. <laughs> but man, this is some officer. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, well, there's been a lot of research in um, especially in the US with um, NFL and, and the helmets that the, yeah. the combat uses as well. So they're actually devised a new helmet now that um, the NFL are using and a lot of the, the military is starting to implement as well. I mean, Australia will probably get it 10 years later, but um, like with the 84, they were finding that as it's gone through the head, the concussion is bouncing back. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny because you say that, like, my Iraq trip, I can hardly remember anything from it other than that, those really shit moments towards the end that gave me that bit of taste in the mouth. But, like, name of the base, the time I was there, any of like that, that's really hard for me to remember. Prior to that, when we were in Afghan and we are like, firing all those 84s probably towards the end of the trip. Um, yeah, so whether there's a connection there or not, I'm sure we'll find out a later. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two. There's two that I'm looking at. There's one CTE definitely for from concussion or concussion. The other one is is just chronic cortisol exposure. Like if you're sitting there, like in Iraq, like you yeah. were saying, where you've seen things, you've raised it with rank, you've done nothing about it, you know, all day, all night, mm. there's shit going on. There's high chance of getting blown up. And you're just chronically pumping your brain with cortisol. Yeah, that is showing links to to memory loss yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, there's not um, there's, there's, there's not a lot of things you do overseas in the army that don't fuck your brain apparently. No, that's right. I mean, I was, my my old judo coach, a Vietnam veteran, the one thing he told me when I joined is like, when you come back from deployment, say yes, you're exposed to everything because probably you were. Yeah. And sure <laughs> enough, when I come back from Iraq, that's one thing I remember, we'd drive through the tip every day because that was the least chance of getting a IED bun and the tips they had all sorts of shit burning in there <laughs> like mm. god knows what we were exposed yeah. to and we're probably inhaling yeah, yeah. all sorts of shit so um yeah free medical though you know, yeah <laughs> i remember sitting on the embassy roof next to the fucking chimneys where they burn all the it's the, it's the american hospital the cash in in, a, in baghdad in, uh, in baghdad yeah and right the chimney stacks were on op3 i don't know what it was and the chimney stacks where they just burn all the, they're like, oh, he doesn't have an arm anymore. Yeah, Chuck yeah. it in the fucking, yeah. and we just sat Grand and just like, people there. Mm. delicious. <laughs> Talil, that's where I was. Talil Air Base. There we go. <laughs> there we go. It's back now. Ah, so oh, you remember, it's just 15 minutes later. Is it bad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I got, is it bad?
Go on, mate. Yeah, take it. Yeah. Bloody oath. They were delicious. That first one, mate, that is like Dr. Pepper without the sugar. Yeah. Yeah, he's got about, I don't know, half a dozen different flavours. They're quite good. Yeah, they are good to go. So what's... This studies and stuff into the CTE and into the Canadian studies... Where's that taking it and, and where are you taking it within veteran grappling? Yeah, so um, as I said, my head physio, he's he's doing his PhD. So um, he, him and the EP were both working within the veteran community for about five years before I dragged them across. Um, and we've got a psych who's, he's been involved for probably nearly seven or eight years. Um, and the good thing is that, like the data that the guys are getting from when they come in, that we're, we're even though the class goes for an hour and a half, they normally come in half an hour before that and have one-on-one sessions with their team to go over anything that's give them grief. We've got the gym equipment out the back so they can do some functional stuff before they get on the mats as well. Um, the data that we're collecting, we're we're basically showing that we've that we're getting the results so that we can pass that on to veteran affairs to try and show that this is the this is what the pilot program has produced um, so much so that 12 months ago they were really keen to get behind us and asked us to push it out nationally um, so we put some social media posts up in about three weeks we had over 400 veterans apply to, to do it so the interest was massive way to pull it down i was getting too much mm. <laughs> um, we went back to DVA and then fucking COVID hit. Um, so it's a bit hard. You can't really get too close to people when there's restrictions in. But um, we've had some really good meetings recently again. Um, so the studies has been really good. We've had a couple of papers written that are getting published by a couple of universities. So um, some really hard evidence um, that, again, that's going to be great for DVA. And Open Arms have sort of come on board and been liaising with them. We've uh, the group of three of us, myself and the, and the health team, have, have helped run a couple of the, um, the, uh, the courses for open arms as well. So we've run mental health first aid, um, and we've run, which is a two-day course, and we've implemented the, um, the I'm trying to think of the name of the, what they call it. Uh, it's like a couples retreat type thing. They go, they take veterans and their partners, and they take them away for a couple of weekends um, over a two month period. And it's run by two psychs. They teach them co- coping mechanisms for both of them, how to deal with, you know, integrating back home, and how that, how to deal with the anger outbursts, and how to deal with kids, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And we come on board and we run the the health side of things. So. We brief them on how to get back moving and, you know, the minimum amounts that you should be doing and healthy eating and pretty much what you guys are doing on your app. And then um, and then I've run a couple of yoga sessions for them um, that go for about an hour and a half, two hours. And, and same with, with the um, yin style. I just put them in a position for 15 minutes mm. and... Um, just let them chill out, have the music going, and just let them zone out. And then, funny enough, at the end, I always ask them, oh, "How long do you think you held each pose for?" And they might only done four poses, mm. an hour and a half's gone by. They're like, "Oh, five, six minutes." 
you're there 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, so they all get blown away, um, like like pretty much like we were, you know, 12 yep. months ago. Um, and and obviously, as I said, we do that at the end of our our training. Um, it might only be for five, ten minutes, but um, same thing. The guys and girls are getting getting huge benefits from it. Um, yeah. So our our process now is. Um, the studies that we're getting, we're getting huge results. We've had um, a lot of sites within the region now and rehabilitation centres that are actually giving veterans day release to come to our program as well because we run classes through the day. So we've had guys in the rehab centre and, and girls that come in, um, they do the program uh, and then like some of them are six, eight, 12 months down the track, they're, they're still sober, they're They've lost 20 odd kilos. They've, they've got their life completely turned around. They're back moving again. Like, um, yeah, we're, we're phenomenal, mate. Yeah, getting getting really good results. So, um, yeah, I mean that's what we kind of set out to do, and it's it's working. And um, that's yeah, basically just trying. Now we just want to get to that point where uh, we want to try and implement the program everywhere that there's interest. So, yeah, we, we, we sat down with um, one of the universities a couple of weeks ago and tried to, um, we've tried to sign a deal with them. Looks like it's, it's through the admin phase at the moment, but to have a, a qualified program that's accredited through a university where practitioners, um, so whether medical background you are or if you are a veteran who's got experience in the grappling arts can come in and every 12 months do like a refresher course where we pretty much teach you the program so then that way um we can we're controlling so we're not getting some yahoo out there trying to implement what we're doing hurting people um we're realizing that uh everyone's got a fair understanding i mean our, our medical team yeah the scaling that. process would be scary for people, yeah. what you've got with your experience and your team, and then opening it up and going, right, you go, exactly, and don't fuck it, and yeah. not, not so much the brand damage, but the people, people. and the people on the other end that trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we we are unique. We've got a very unique group that have come together. Um, so we're trying to work out how we can expose the rest of the nation. Um, that are out there uh, to to what we've got, um, but without, as I said, having some cowboy <laughs> break someone. Um, the other option is that is potentially we could go and run seminars in in the main areas, obviously with restrictions with COVID at the moment. But that's where we're sort of sitting at the moment. How can we best give the give the, the you know the public the the demand that they need? Um, how can we how can we implement that the best way possible? So, yeah. Hey, that's some, I, I think there's there's, room, there's there's a space that I'd love to have a chat about. And again, this is just throwing ideas around. We can have go into this deeper later. But yeah, we've put together. We, we've got good support from some of the big clubs in Sydney, and I mean they they got plenty of pokey money. Yeah. Um, and through COVID, their pokey stats went through the roof because everyone cashing oh, job true. seeker checks. It's like, yeah. oh fuck, I'll just throw <laughs> this free money in the pokies and see what happens. Um. But we, we've built like a, a solid base with Coogee 
because um, their club, it's, it's not a massive one. It's not a big pokey revenue club. It's near the beach and it's, they're, they're converting half of their building into a, into a gym. Like they've got oh, a gym nice. upstairs now and a pool and a yeah. sauna. And they see the value in moving forward by yeah. innovating in the health space rather than doing cheap beers and palmy mm. fucking combos. So we, we've kind of put this concept to, to them and a bunch of the other big clubs um, for the Swiss 8 HQ, which is um, to try and get some of the other clubs thinking like could you? Yeah. Going, all right, you've got to give back to veterans as part of your kind of ethos, yeah. or it used to be anyway. Um, let's understand that young veterans don't come in for pokies and palmies anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, let's put on this health model. And the only thing, like Kooji's new in the, in the middle floor, they've gutted the whole used to be a ballroom. It's fucking massive. Um, and that'll be like Globo Gym upstairs and the whole yeah, ballroom's yeah. getting turned into like a functional fit, fitness center. And the one thing missing is martial arts. Like, yeah. and, and what we pitched it because they basically came to us and said, tell us what you want. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll, we'll get it built. And we're like everything from their plan. They showed us the, the plans and I'm like, the only thing you need to change in here is you've got to find space to do some, put some mats in and do some yeah. fighting. Um, and all they've come back to us with is if you can find someone to run it, yeah. um, we'll, we'll build it. Yeah, Because um, they, they're, they're going down the path of they don't want to hire a whole bunch of staff to be PTs and all this. Yeah. They're going to outsource almost everything. Yeah. Um, so that is something I think. Yeah. And, and, and like flowing on from that, when I've started jujitsu, like again, very recently, um, the model that they've got, Gracie Baja's model, it's oh, yeah. obviously tried and tested it's it's yeah. the biggest brand in the world but i think when, when they start 80s 90s yeah they haven't changed their warm-up no <laughs> it is like watching the ana on those videos like you go in cold as fuck and when you said like your guys come in and you do functional warm-ups and then you yeah. roll for a bit and then you do long stretching that model resonates with me that is yeah. not what i do when i go to jiu-jitsu nah, that's right. you go in cold you do some star jumps you do these fucking squats that no shit do any injuries every time because mm. it's like you're cold quick yeah. you've got 30 seconds to do 50 <laughs> squats go I'm like all right yeah that's not a warm-up bro no <laughs> that's right i mean we've we've got guys like two weeks ago a guy had back surgery and he was on the mat this morning mm. we had um another guy's had two knee replacements We've had another one who's had a hip replacement. We've had all these different pretty serious injuries that most people go, well, if I've had that, I'm not going to be able to go to a normal gym. And they probably can't. But to our program, because of the medical team we've got, and that's the beauty of it, they're on the mat. So even when we're doing something, and may say they might try and do a movement that might tweak something, the boys just drag them straight off to the side and they, they've given them, if they hurt themselves, straight away they've got a rehab program they can go straight into it. They can go straight off and get on the bike or mm. get into the gym and start like, or getting on the bands or rollers or anything that we've got there. They're, they're not wasting their time. They're, they're still there for an hour and a half yeah. and they can, they can really start the process. Um, so the, the way we set it up was when, when veterans want to come to our program, we get them to go to their GP and get a referral. That referral gives them to physio, EP, and a psych straight away. We're all in the one spot. So another thing that we found with veterans is that they would go to a physio and then they would have to go to another EP in another venue mm. and then they would have to try and liaise with each other. Then if they need to see a psych, they've got to go to another place. And then most of us, our... Uh, our levels of tolerance are probably not 
of hires. Roger, <laughs> mate. <laughs> so in the end, Blake's like, oh, fuck this. Like, I've gone to this video. He says I need to do this. Then I could try and get a, a might be another two weeks before I can get another EP appointment. Mm. Where to us, we found that guys can come in, they get everything there straight away. And, and then you've got that camaraderie like we had in the defence as well. So um, that's the other thing, that social aspect. We try and do things like for, for the barbecue we guys yeah. did for you guys. Like blokes loved it. They brought their partners and their kids down in oh, the park. Perfect. The kids went fucking nuts. Um, and some of the cops that are still currently serving rocked up in uniform. Yeah, that's um, and it was really good. Like everyone was really clicking and, and getting well. It was having that social interaction. Um, so what, what we've designed this year is because of that being really well, um, and we had a couple of guys that had hard times for Remembrance Day as well. Mm. Um, so we've decided that this year we're going to do gradings. Um, we've situated them around Anzac Day and Remembrance Day so that for the ones who might not want to go to the, the get-togethers, yeah. they've actually got something to look forward to. Um, you know, they might bring their spirits up and they've, they've got another reason to in, enjoy that period of time. Um, it's, that seems to be getting really good response back. Um, yeah, and I think um, just trying to be more, hopefully this year with COVID, um, I mean, we haven't been too bad here in Queensland, luckily, but hopefully we can organise more social events. Um, we are linked heavily with Paul um, and the stuff that he's doing in the defence, uh, mainly because the reason why we thought, I'm, I'm grading them in judo here at Inogra. Um, Geordie loves McBain's um, grading them in BJJ, and then you've got Paul's system. So they're trying to give the combat guys a little bit more qualifications when they get out, because a lot of diggers, when they get out... Are oh, you grading current serving dudes? Current serving That'd dudes. That'd be fucking sick. Yeah, man. so they get three grades pretty much at, at the combat base in, in Inogra, so that when, in, whenever their time's up, because your time's up at some stage, they come out, the idea is that if they stick with it the whole time, they could potentially have three black belts, so that when they come out, they're, they're highly qualified enough to run their own gym, like what, what we're doing. They can pretty much implement our program in their thing, so they've got something to go straight into. Yeah. Or if not, they can come into our program wherever it is around Australia and they continue on with their training. So they're still having that same um, familiarity of, of that same feel of what they had when they were in. So that's where we've, we've done really well by trying to build our program and liaise with Paul and, and, um, and Aaron Johnson, who's, who's the RSM here. Um, for the combat centre and, and try and link them in heavily together so that we can actually help current guys and then when they get out, they've got somewhere to go to, a starting yeah. point. So how's, um, how, how, is Paul still linked in with Holsworthy? Uh, as far as I know, I think so, yeah. That'll be, I mean, that's what we've kind of cre slowly creating in, in Coogee Diggers yep. Club, or there so is the off-base boozer for yeah, from, good. From, from Sydney. Yeah. And that would be wicked because I know half those boys roll anyway already. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. they could get so they've got the combat centre there, which Paul and Aaron started, and, and now, um, yeah, they're, they're still running it. So, 
Because there was that's what they'd be perfect. It's a no-brainer crossover. They can do this your program at work and then come and do it outside of work at exactly. the RSL as well. Yeah. Uh, is that something you, like the, the the veteran grappling model? Is that like a yeah. franchise model? It or I mean, it's, a, it's a not-for-profit. Isn't it's it? a non-for-profit. Yeah, they're a charity organisation. Um, but that that's the idea because of the demand. Like we just want to help as many veterans mm. as possible. That's what we're set up for. So. We, if, if there's any other veterans out there that are in that region that uh, a black belt in judo or BJJ or both or, or anything in the grappling arts, even if they're a high quality wrestler, they can still do the same sort of stuff. Yeah. We do gi, no gi, it doesn't really matter. Um, we do a bit of self-defense, which is the kinetic mm. stuff that we implement in as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's the idea. If, Saves, there's only three of us, so yeah. we can't be everywhere at once, unfortunately. No, mate, we might have to have a yarn offline and, and try and fucking mm. get something moving forward, mate. Mate, all bloody quality instructors. Yeah, yeah, there would be. There'd be plenty of them. There'd be plenty there. The level, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mate, we've banged this in nearly two hours, really. Yeah. <laughs> so what's going on for, for veteran grappling in, in the future? And then where can people find you, mate, so we can tag in all your Yep, so we're on... Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So Twitter, I think we're Vet Grappling. Um, Instagram and Facebook, we are Veterans Grappling Foundation. And and we've got a website as well, which is current, but we're getting a new one done at the moment. So <laughs> uh, VeteranGrappling.com is, is, the, founda- is the, um, the website at the moment. But yeah, as I said, we're in the process of getting a new one done. Obviously, it's going to have all that new merchandise on there, which um, you should be able to do your merch and your um, donations if you want to do that there. And, um, yeah, if, if you want us to come and run a, uh, even a seminar at your venue, um, we're, we're, we're looking at doing that this year as well, maybe coming along and then whoever pays, obviously that money goes back to the foundation. Um, some people have a preset amount that they they want to have for entry fees, others just donation, you know, gold coin donation or whatever. Um, we're open to that as well. So just reach out and we can organise something. Magic. Mate, thanks for coming on, dude. Yeah, and uh, I think we could have gone for another hour on that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We'll get, no, mate, that was sick. We're, uh, we'll have to get on back on and, and, and deep dive some more stuff. And I think there's going to be a some good offline ch- chats after yeah, this, mate. I think so. All right, brother. Thank <laughs> you for coming on, mate. Thanks, nice. mate.